This is the Live Your Edge podcast, episode 39. Today we'll be speaking with Natalie Season. Natalie is from New Zealand, and after spending eight years in the corporate world and then two years as a co founder of a technology company, she started her own online business in 2010. After six months of working on the suitcase entrepreneur blog, she was able to turn it into a multiple six figure online education platform. And she did all of this while living out of a suitcase for 6.5 years. And she's doing it full time, traveled over to 70 countries in the meantime. I first learned about Natalie through her book. The Suitcase Entrepreneur. And today we'll be talking exactly about her journey, how she left her corporate job and then went on a wild ride around the world. We'll cover the myth and reality of being a suitcase entrepreneur, the saddest thing about being nomadic, what does it really mean to be a suitcase entrepreneur, and a whole bunch of other stories and topics that have to do with traveling and working. On your own business. I'm really excited to share with you this interview because Natalie's book was actually one of the inspirations behind my journey in starting the digital nomad life back in early 2018. So join me in welcoming Natalie Season. Welcome to the Live Your Edge podcast. I'm here with Natalie Sisson and、uh, glad to have you on the show, Natalie. Yeah, me too. Looking forward to it. So, I first heard about Natalie、uh, through her book, The Suitcase Entrepreneur,、uh, which she wrote a few years ago. And that was before I started my、uh, so called nomadic journey. And I was still working in a nine to five job then, and I was kind of hating it. And、uh, I actually contemplated leaving the job for three years before I actually did it. And after reading Natalie's book, it actually gave me some inspiration of、uh, things I can do while on this journey and、uh, how to like, kind of take care of、uh, my whole life while being nomadic. Natalie, why don't you walk us through sort of how you got started? What, was, what is actually what is a suitcase entrepreneur?、Uh, well, I think. A suitcase entrepreneur is somebody who literally, as I did for six and a half years, lives not necessarily out of their suitcase or backpack, but has the ability and the freedom to travel anywhere while having either an online business or a freelance career. So for me, I started out in 2010 when I realized that I could take my current business and take it online, and then I could actually run it from anywhere in the world. And I decided to just sort of do that by living out of a suitcase. It's not necessarily the aim, but、um, it was pretty amazing in terms of living in a minimalist life and the ability to pack up and go whenever、um, and be free to, to travel and base myself where I pleased. So, what was that、uh, inspiration for you, though? Was, was there any like, particular experience? That triggered that, or was it just a 
uh, discovery or realization? Yeah, well, when I quit my corporate jobs back in 2008 and headed off to Vancouver, the inspiration there was to not be in a, a nine to five that was really restrictive um, or in a job where I wasn't able to really grow and, and do some amazing things. And then then the next inspiration was once I had started a business in Vancouver, I'd run about three workshops in a row on how to use social media to build your business. And I realized that, okay, that's great. I've managed to connect with about 30 people in Vancouver who've come to my sellout workshop. But what about all the other people in my community at that point who were like, hey, are you going to do this anywhere else in the world? And I was like, yeah, I guess I could come to different cities. And then I was like, well, wait a minute, that's going to cost quite a bit of money or I'm going to have to only be able to sort of target eight to 10 people at a time because that's all I wanted in my workshop. And I was like, surely I could take this online. So the inspiration was, what if I could? What if I could create my first online course? And then the inspiration from there was, well, wait a minute, if I'm going to do that, I don't need to be in one of the most expensive but beautiful cities in the world. I could do this from anywhere. So I chose Buenos Aires, Argentina because I had always wanted to be there or live there. Um, and that was really the inspiration was like, what if I, can I do this? So how long were you in uh, Buenos Aires for? I was there for five months and that was actually fantastic. And it was the longest time I stayed anywhere. So after that, I think I was in Amsterdam for two months, Berlin for two months, and then literally bouncing around the world for a couple of days to a week at a time in different locations, which um, is nuts looking back at it now, but it was perfect for what I wanted to be doing then I just took myself wherever I wanted to go and and wherever there was a conference a speaking opportunity my own customers or potentially an ultimate frisbee tournament or better yet all of those things so the determining factor for whether you would go to that country was you know also based on the fact that you had customers there or you had um you know a a hobby or interest that uh, you're like you're competing and then you would would just come to that country and just do it right yep absolutely so it was always based on is there a business opportunity is there a connection with friends or client and is there an ultimate frisbee which was my sport and I still love it um of choice at the time because they tournaments are held throughout the world so yeah I thought thought they were pretty neat standards to base it on (laughs) (laughs) for me that was um I'm also a speaker I love to speak and you know being paid to go fly the country and speak with you know, it's this awesome thing. And because one thing I realized is um, what's less talked about, you know, a lot in these um, interviews and nomads is the sometimes also like we, we, we also t- we talk about the great stuff that comes with uh, being on the road. But there's also like that sort of side where like, oh, it's, uh, oh, I got to fly again in, in two days, you know, that, that feeling. And um, uh, one of the things I actually want to talk about so that you know, the listeners have a sort of a more well-rounded view of, um, of being a digital nomad is that um, what is your opinion on uh, between the slow travel and fast travel? And what I mean by uh, slow travel is like you're spending at least a month in each country, which you just mentioned, and also the fast travel, which is maybe spending a few days or a week in, in a country. Yeah, so I, looking back now, I think I would have liked to do more slow travel. Um, I would say what I did was fast 
fully immersive travel and most people that I knew weren't doing it that way at the time. Um, a lot of people were staying one to three or even six months up to a year in a place, really understanding and embedding themselves in the community, getting to know the people, getting to know the culture. And I think that's actually a really beautiful way of scratching that itch to be in a new place, um, knowing that you're not going to be there forever, but that you can actually make friends. Because one of the biggest things I realized as I went is I made a lot of friends. I got to visit a lot of wonderful people. And anytime I was coming back through, they were really keen to see me. But a, a couple of visits, I remember connecting with friends and they're like, you know what, Natalie, we love it when you swing by and you make time to see us. But it's also kind of sad because we know you're only here for a few days and then we don't get to see you for maybe another year or so. <laughs> and I hadn't really appreciated the impact that I might be having on them for the better or worse. Um, and then I think if you stay in a place for a good six months to a year, you actually start to make deeper connections. And that's pretty important because one of the biggest reasons I think people do travel is to meet other people and to have new experiences, but you don't want them to always be fleeting. Sometimes you really want those to last. And I think slow travel allows you to do that. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that I personally experienced, which was the um, you know, shifting around countries. Relationship-wise, meeting new people was, it was like knowing that every time you met someone new and you had an awesome conversation and then you just know, everyone knows that in a few days you're gonna be leaving. And yeah. that is that feeling. It's like have to start over, over and over again. And so you feel like maybe staying in the place for like three months, six months would, would sort of alleviate uh, a lot of that. Yeah. I think it really depends on who you are and how you like to travel. And, um, and also just thinking about the people that you want to meet. And for some people, they're real individualistic. They like solo travel. They like to be a little bit, um, not lonesome in a bad way. They just really like their independence and they don't need to travel with others and they're not going there to make new friends. They're going there for experiences and then they want to move on. So in my book, The Suitcase Entrepreneur, I do talk a lot about are you cut out to be a suitcase entrepreneur because traveling by itself takes quite a lot of guts for people, especially when they haven't done it. For me, it's completely natural. I've done it ever since I was a kid, thanks to my parents. And just, I don't know, I, I think it's made me an incredible project manager and um, operations person and just the ability to be able to deal with change as it comes and um, make last minute plans and um, adapt. But for some people, they get out on the road and they're like, oh, this is crappy. Um, I don't have my stay at home comforts. I don't have a wardrobe. I don't have a washing machine, all these things that we take for granted. And I still really appreciate <laughs> now that I have a house. Um, and also it can get lonely out on the road if you're not comfortable with your own company. If you don't necessarily love yourself as who you are or as a person, it can really be quite, um, for some people, it can be quite a confronting time to figure out who they really are and how they how they work. Um, and for others, they, you know, set out in this, I'm going to go away for a couple of years. And I always suggest that it's good to maybe just go away for a, one to three months and see how you actually find it, especially if you've not traveled before, because it can seem so appealing and very sexy from the outside but the reality of it is if you don't like that and it's not who you are and you're a creature comforts type of person or you're more introverted or you really love um, security and a lack of change it's probably not going to be the right lifestyle for you so I think it's really good for people to do a little bit more introspection before they go making these crazy leaps in the past I would have said yeah just do it but I've realized that not many people are like you and I or the people who are listening to this are and when you're always surrounded by people who are digital nomads or location independence or like you it's very easy to think everybody in the world thinks like that and they really don't yeah that's true they, they don't <laughs> i mean like some of my friends think i'm crazy like i spent um 
So my, my story is like I spent, uh, I was raised in New York, but I spent eight years living in Hong Kong um, before I started you know, becoming nomadic. And then my friends in Hong Kong, you know, a lot of them are like, you're crazy. You're going, you jump in from country to country. And, and for them, it, it's, it was always about like um, you know, stability and um, you know, having, having some sort of comfort. And the idea of like going minimalistic, uh, you know, carrying like one suitcase and a, and a carry on, like a carry on and a, and a bag is just like, yeah, it scares, it scares you. Right. I mean, how, how, how do you go through that process of like cutting down, um, you know, when, at that stage where you're cutting down like number of possessions you had and you can bring with you, with you on your travels? Yeah, well, it was definitely, a, I guess for me, it was an experience of just really prioritizing what was important. So when I moved from New Zealand to London for two and a half years, I obviously took with me just some stuff in a suitcase. Then while you're there, you acquire furniture and things and you finish the flat you're living in and you get stuff. So when I left London, I, I downsized to a suitcase. And when I got to Vancouver, I kind of gained more stuff again, because once again, I rented, I flattered with friends. Um, and so when I finally made that move of, right, I'm just going to go off and travel and live out of a suitcase. My suitcase was so heavy. Um, it was ridiculous. And I remember getting to the airport in Vancouver. No, somebody actually drove me to Seattle because I was passing the border to be able to get my um, Canadian residency. Ironically, I just got it in time. And I didn't want to give it up. So you had to do the silly round the flagpole thing of driving to um, it was Seattle and then back around. And I remember then when I jumped on a flight from there to go off traveling, um, my suitcase was wickedly overweight. And I think I got charged $150 excess. And I really oh, should have wow. split it out into two. But I was so determined to get it into one suitcase and my tennis bag. And my tennis bag was stashed with um, mountain climbing gear, like rock, rock climbing gear and um, as many shoes as I could put in it and it was hilarious and I was like oh this is not going to work like long term I do not want this much stuff so my um, philosophy was always if I buy something new I have to replace something so something in something out um, otherwise you just collect too much stuff my other philosophy was just not to buy stuff um, so as tempting it is when you're traveling you always want to get little mementos but I had to be really cognizant of what would be a lovely memento to take away from this place? And could it just be photos or blogs that I'd written about it versus, you know, some statue or mask or something that was now going to clog up my suitcase. So I do have quite a few mementos from my travels, but a lot of them are smaller. Um, and I, every single time I travel to a new place, I would just try and lighten the load because after a while, even though my suitcase was only like 23 kilos, it just always felt too heavy. 23 <laughs> so, kilos. Wow. Yeah. And it, it wasn't a carry-on um, because in the US you can have a carry-on that's a bit bigger, but most of the rest of the world, a carry-on is actually usually about seven kilos and a lot smaller. So I always had to check my bag in. I'm always really um, impressed with people who, who could fit it into one carry-on, but because I was a business and lifestyle and sports, um, could never quite trim it down perfectly. And I liked checking in and it was fine. Gave me more time at the airport to do work and hang out in lounges. Um, but yeah, I think you have to be really prioritize what's important. Um, I've written about it in my book, like what I suggest you have. And most people that I know just have way too many shoes. Um, I always just had a pair of flip-flops, a pair of sports shoes, and then just one you know, because I chased summers, I could pretty much just stick with one strappy sandal or something that I could wear nicely or not nicely, you know, like for dress up or not. Um, 
and lots of layers and lots of things that you can roll up in your suitcase and suddenly life became a lot easier when I was rolling. I never ironed. I picked layers, lots of light layers, so it doesn't really bog you down. And um, yeah, it's just, it's an art that I think you get better at. Marie, is it Marie Kondo? The, um, she wrote a book, right? About yeah, the Kondo Marie method. Um, I've done that since being at home actually, but it would have been really awesome to know more about her at the time if she'd been around when I was doing it. In some ways, I was probably following her ethos on my own <laughs> without even knowing her. So what, what is like a must-have when you, when you travel? I actually think this may sound really strange, but you just need an adapter because at the end of the day, you can always buy clothes and stuff. And typically you can buy, I mean, these days you can buy almost everything, but the biggest problem that I used to have was I'd get to a new country and I didn't have the right adapter and my laptop was running low on battery and I'd be, you know, it's kind of becomes your world when you can't access the internet or GPS to get where you need to go. Um, That'd be one of the things. And the second, I would say, it sounds a little odd, is sunscreen. Um, back when I was first traveling, sunscreen in especially developing countries was ludicrously expensive and not that great quality. So I think um, sunscreen and your own medications or supplements are probably quite smart to take with you just because they're harder to get hold of in certain countries. But outside of that, you can literally buy anything you need. And I'm not into, hey, buy and throw away, but um, you know, if you really need something, um, you can typically get it in the place that you're going to. And I do have to caveat here that when I started out, there was no Uber, there was no Airbnb, and people didn't even know what a digital nomad was. They used to go, oh, that's cool that you came up with that term. And I'm like, I didn't come up with that term. But things are so easy for digital nomads now, I think. Like, everything is at their fingertips. Everything is made for people who um, just want to travel anywhere using their mobile and Wi-Fi or data connection. So I think I toughed it out at the beginning. I made way for all the folks listening here. You, you have it easy. I still have it tough, but you have it easier than, than it was. There used to be no Wi-Fi. There were no co-working spaces. Cafes didn't really love you hanging out there. I mean, it just wasn't set up for people who wanted to work and live from anywhere. So, so we, were, we were considered like a, a homeless, homeless bunch. Exactly. Yeah. Well, we kind of are, but <laughs> <laughs> well, you did write about that in your in your book, right? You said yeah. you said how to how to go pro being um, at being homeless. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, selling. I I had to do a fair share of selling my some of my possessions because I felt like a lot of these things that we hold on to, um, they you know they they seem nice when we buy it and then they they become burdens right not yep, just like exactly. not not just as weight in the bag but you know mentally i think it becomes a burden it's like oh i need this you know i can't do without this and um i think i think it's true like there's there's a chart i saw recently it was are you familiar with maslow's hierarchy of needs yes i definitely am yeah <laughs> uh there was this chart it said like on the bottom it was in terms of like needs it shelter was, security roof yeah. over your head yep yeah so it was wi-fi it was wi-fi it was um, <laughs> it was your adapter and it was your your phone uh, mm. i don't know it was something else but it, it was necessary so <laughs> and then and then the rest of it on top was like apps apps on your phone like yeah three four g Maslow's hierarchy of needs is that's what we need. Yeah, like like 3G. We need 4G. We need the Wi-Fi. We need the 
that we need our phones and we need the power. And then there's some apps that we can use. So on the top, on the very top, like where self-actualization is, you have, um, you have YouTube <laughs> and you have, uh, I forgot the other one, um, but Instagram is, is, a, is one or two levels below that. That's, that's in the, that's in the self-esteem uh, <laughs> category over there. <laughs> I understand like nowadays it's not even, a, sometimes it's not even about a shelter. It's more like, oh, I need, I need to have connectivity with the world. And, yeah. Although when you're traveling, you do that just by talking to people, right? I think it's got a little excessive. I walk around the streets here in Wellington now and I'm like, is nobody not on their phone? I guess I just probably have to understand that we've had smartphones for over 10 years now. They're just a part of our life and I absolutely love them. I can run my business from it. I can run my life from it. But I, I do just look around and I'm kind of saddened sometimes when I see all these people walking with their heads down and completely tuned into their device and checked out of the reality, um, which is sad. <laughs> Yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> it sucks. Um, what what advice would you give someone that wants to be a nomad, but you know they don't know what to start, where to start? Like, what what kind of action steps would they take without having to like buy a one way ticket and just go to Thailand or something? <laughs> yeah. Well, I do actually have to say uh, something that I talk about in my book that I don't think people often think about is being a tourist in your own city. And it might just be a really nice place to start. I know it may not seem as glamorous as jumping on a plane, but um, sometimes just looking at your own city or town or going, you know, maybe an hour from where you are with a fresh perspective and a sort of a tourist lens on and looking at things in a different way, like what places would you visit? Where would you take your friends if they were coming to visit? What would you explore? And um, I think often we get so caught up in just the same routine or doing what we're doing. And one of the biggest things about travel is it stops you from doing that. It gets you out of that. You have to find everything new and make your way around. But I actually really love exploring my own city in that way sometimes and just going, huh, what haven't I never done? in the time that I've lived here. What um, what would tourists do when they're coming here? What have I not seen? What am I not exploring? What am I not seeing? So sometimes that's just like a really good way to go about it. And then from there, depending on your level of curiosity and risk, um, then, you know, a cross-country trip can sometimes be really good um, or a short hop away to a country that still speaks your language is typically a good <laughs> a good risk to take because I do know of a few people, like when I went to... Argentina I had been learning Spanish but my Spanish compared to Argentinian Spanish was completely different so I felt really um, estranged from it I had to get lessons again I didn't understand anybody around me uh, they also didn't have places that were for rent there and because it was before Airbnb it was like you had to take up a two-year tenancy and I just I really oh. struggled like I couldn't have put myself into a harder place and the only thing that really saved me during that time was some tenacity and perseverance and I tapped into the ultimate frisbee community there who helped me out big time just in letting me stay for a few nights um, negotiating with people around renting a little apartment and um, I think Starbucks ironically it was the only time I visited Starbucks I really don't love that chain store but and it was the only place where I could get wi-fi um and so just yeah I think if you're gonna start out and you're new to it all pick a country that at least speaks your language and maybe has some of the familiar elements and foods that you're used to because I can't tell you how many people I see who and you've probably seen this too who travel the world and go why can't I get well, McDonald's isn't a good example because yeah. they're everywhere, but why can't I get my normal steak here? Or why do the chips and chocolate sound, taste different? And I'm like, well, did you come all the way to Bolivia to eat the same stuff as you did? <laughs> no. So yeah. Um, yeah, just opening your mind to what you're going to expect and being prepared for 
um, the unexpected. Yeah, personally, I'm also a uh, picky eater, but when I'm in a different country, I have to like, I have to find like a base, a baseline of uh, cuisines or dishes that I I can I, I I like, and I wouldn't mind eating quite frequently. Like in Thailand, I would I, I like the cow suey or some, something like that. And uh, mm-hmm. before, I never had any of it. But then it's not like saying to go and try to try the scorpions, right? It's just try something that's vaguely familiar to what you are already accustomed to eating and uh, try it out like similar to what you're saying about trying a different country yeah exactly yeah just trying new things and being open to it and um, experimenting and knowing things won't be the same but that's part of the reason why you did it and the flip side of that for those listening who who are freelancers or side hustlers or have their businesses not discounting the effect that you need at least, I think, three to four days, maybe even more, just to get your bearings when you arrive in a place. And I've definitely made that mistake before that I've landed and I'm doing a webinar like a couple of hours later. This is how I used to roll. And I didn't even, like, I was in a different time zone. I hadn't checked into a hotel or a hostel or whatever it was. And I just felt really frazzled um, and quite out of sorts. And I do now always recommend to people, give yourself a buffer either side of any trip, whether it's a vacation, or a digital sabbatical, or you know, a longer-term slow travel trip. You've just got to give yourself space when you arrive to not just be business as usual or life as usual, um, mm-hmm. because you just need to settle in. How about those that don't have any? Like when they when they leave, they leave like a corporate job, and they don't have a small business. They don't have uh, any anything like that's kind of tied down, tying them down. Um, would you still recommend that same approach? <laughs> I actually used to say, yeah, jump, you know, like I, I'm a big fan of don't have a backup plan because if you have a backup plan, you often defer to it. However, um, I do don't mean you should just jump all in with absolutely um, no savings in the bank. And so you'll hear a lot of people say have at least three to six months runway that if it, anything happened, you got into some trouble, uh, you had to pay out for something, or you couldn't earn money, or things just cost you more, it's always really nice to know you've got that buffer and you don't need to come screaming back to live at home or you don't need to feel stressed out or borrowing money when you're traveling. So I um, I think there's sort of no need these days to drop everything and go. And even if you're in a job, starting a side hustle for sort of three to six months, getting it to a point where it's making you some money and then feeling comfortable that, okay, if I quit my job now, I'd, I'd have enough to be able to travel on because another thing that you and I both know is travel is often way cheaper than living in your own city yeah, or hometown, exactly. um, way cheaper. And so a lot of people are like, oh gosh, I have to be able to cover my costs. And I was like, no, you don't because you probably won't have a mortgage. You won't have satellite. You won't have all these subscriptions and overhead costs, car payments, whatever it is, all the stuff that we feel we need. You won't have any of those costs anymore. You'll just have your flight, your accommodation, food. And depending on where you're traveling in the world, a lot of Europe, a lot of South America, a lot of Asia is incredibly reasonable and, and cheap and you can live on very little um, and very well. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's a really good call to do is just have that backup of, of funds and also something that you know you can continue once you're on the road. That was the mistake I made when I when I first jumped. I didn't yep. have I didn't have that uh, small business. I was just starting the small business and <laughs> what happened was um you know i was kind of like pulled in many different directions uh focus on where i need to be next 
which country I need to be next. And at the same time, I'm, I'm trying to build a business. So uh, that was rough. And I, I don't recommend that at all. If I had to do it again, I would definitely have, like you said, you know, small, like if it's a freelance or a small business, have some income uh, before you start burning the savings. Because once you start doing that, it's, it's, it's harder to enjoy the, it's harder to enjoy that life, that lifestyle when you're, uh, you're constantly, you know, building that airplane on the way down. Yeah, exactly. Have you changed your mind on the so-called having on having a backup plan? Yeah, having a backup plan. Have you have you changed your mind on that? Any point? Yeah, I have a little. Sorry, I'm just having a little coughing fit in the background on air. No worries. Um. I I think it depends on the type of person you are. I really like not having a safety net because it makes me leap with conviction and intention and make it work um, and make whatever I want to do a reality. But it's not. <laughs> it's definitely not for everybody. Uh, that would scare the crap out of a lot of people. And so I think you have to be really mindful of the type of person you are. But I am still a fan of not giving yourself too long of a deadline, like, oh, I'll do this in two years' time. No, set yourself a 90-day sprint or say that by my next birthday in five months, I'm going to be, I will have, you know, quit my job and booked my ticket. Um, so give yourself a really good deadline to go off and do these things. Don't sit around waiting for one day or um, perfect conditions because that will never happen. Okay. How about if that person is running a, a small business and they, you know, or, or some sort of like online um, project that they're working on that generates income, would they give themselves a deadline while they're already a nomad and so sort of like a hard deadline? If I, if I don't reach this target by then, I would have to pivot or, or change or maybe stay just change change the whole lifestyle thing like you were saying they're they're already traveling and maybe the business or the idea that they had isn't working out for them or are you saying yeah 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 that's yeah. that's what i'm saying yeah i mean i think that's smart anyway you've got to give yourself um a little bit of leeway to say okay traveling and running a business or a freelance career is, is going to be a little bit more complex and challenging but obviously if after six to nine months you're losing money, not making money, and it's not sustainable, then yes, you'd have to look at, okay, what else can I do to partner with? What revenue streams am I missing that I could be doing? Or do I need to maybe just stay put in one place for a while and, um, and have set costs and know what I can live off and what my runway is? So yeah, I think you should always be assessing, um, but that doesn't mean dropping things that you haven't even really given a good go. I, I love it when people say to me, oh, I tried that once and it didn't work. So what else should I do? And I was like, you tried it once? Try it five times, try it 10 times, try it a hundred times. Like who gives up once? And what did you try? And then I often go deeper into that and they're like, well, I kind of, you know, and often it's that we didn't fully commit. We went in half-hearted, we didn't test it, we didn't experiment um, and we didn't really back ourselves. So you know, for those of you listening out there who might be feeling like, oh, things aren't going super well, you know, really just, it's about having a vision for how you want your life to look. And, um, you know, look at all the options that you might have. Um, talk to friends, ask mentors, talk to people who've been where you've been and you'll know that you're not the only person and that there's always ways to make the situation better. And as you said, pivot um, and just find some new ways to be um, bringing in income or making your situation better. So, big fan of not giving up unless after you know a good amount of time it's really smacking you in the face that you're on the wrong path which is typically not 
actually the case. It's just that you just need to make some tweaks. So, so this includes like people that they try something doesn't work. And, uh, when you ask a little bit deeper, they actually didn't really try. They didn't, like you said, didn't experiment all the way and didn't commit yeah, all the way yet. Exactly. And we've all been there, right? Like, oh, typically to me, that means that your heart wasn't really in it or you didn't really have, you weren't really 100% committed to it um, because people who want a certain result or outcome or to make something happen will move heaven and high water. Like if you're really into it or you really think it's got legs or you really believe in it you will you will do whatever it takes and you won't give up um and that sort of stubbornness sometimes can shoot people in the foot but most of the time it's the thing that gets you to succeed so typically when somebody's like i tried that once it didn't work it's usually because their heart's not in the specific thing that they're working on right now and they just need to change it so it's more in line with their their values and their purpose and yeah what they really want to be doing got it well, it's life, right? Like just give yourself opportunities and chances. Um, make sure that you're really committed to them. If you need that backup plan, have it um, so that you're not just left stranded. But sometimes the best things come out of not knowing. And that's when your back is up against a wall or you're really hard done by is when you come out fighting and come out with some of your best ideas. And I know when I was in Buenos Aires, I was like, man, I have to, I thought I had a business that was going really well, but ultimately I'd walked away from my network and um, my friends and everything in Vancouver. And I had a pretty sweet setup there and I'd taken this massive risk to go to Buenos Aires. And now I was faced with, okay, my business isn't making as much money as I thought costs here are higher than I thought. Um, and it just got me to double down on everything. I just had to really go for it. There were a few moments of crying on the bed or going, this isn't going to work. And then I was like, oh, get your sorry ass off the bed and make it happen. Um, but it can be scary. But then I sort of came out with even more momentum and energy because I had to make it work. And that's um, not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's great advice for you know, those that are on the fence or even during their journey. Like, I know I had those days where, oh man, like maybe I made a mistake. <laughs> maybe I made a mistake by, uh, by jumping. But I think eventually we, we stop caring about what other people think. And um, it feels like, you know, even, even if everything goes down the dumps, like we still gain something out of all of that. 100% you learn so much about yourself and where you grow and what you're capable of. So I think those testing moments are always the hardest, but the best lessons. And you, you typically never go back to that state of feeling a bit shite. Um, so I've had moments like that and I always learn from them. And I'm like, great, I never want to feel like that again. So what do I need to do to make that not happen? So what was that? Um, you, know, ex you mentioned a few experiences like what what is your biggest learning from being a nomad? You know, all your travels for the last six years. Hmm, that's a really great question. The biggest learning. I do actually believe that when you're on the road and traveling, it's some for me personally and for many friends that I've talked to who have led this life, it can lead you to some of your most creative moments because when you're in different cultures and seeing different things. Um, I always was coming up with different ideas of how I could deliver my education, my coaching. Um, I feel like it made for richer times. And 
just kept me in that zone of creativity. And when I came back to New Zealand, which I absolutely love, and being in one place a little bit more, I really missed that. Like I had to go out and find different ways to be creative or to change my environment up. So it was probably one of those beautiful benefits that I didn't appreciate as much at the time. Um, the other thing was that often my time was condensed while I was traveling. I was in airports, I was in planes, I was in trains, I was in hotels, I was at conferences. And it actually made me more efficient with my business because realistically each day I didn't have a full day um, like you do when you're in one place. I had three or four hours or two and I just would use those really effectively. So I now employ that back in New Zealand where I'll take myself off to a cafe for a couple of hours to do a certain project and then I'll come back to my awesome study and use that and then I'll go to a co-working space to do another project and so I, I kind of make that travel routine that I got so used to and so good at a part of my everyday even in a place where I could be quite settled just because I appreciate how much more creative and effective I am. So you're you're back in New Zealand now and you're so you, you mentioned settle is it what was the reason, re, the rationale behind that? Was it because you decided to settle down or was it um, you wanted to slow down for a couple of years or? Yeah, was... a little bit of everything. I, um, I had been away from New Zealand since 2005, uh, so quite a long time. Wow. Um, my dad had recently passed away and I think coming back wow. to visit family and see him just made me go, you know what? Wow, I really want to be close to my family now. Um, not that I hadn't ever been, but I just I wanted to spend more quality time at home. I had a nephew. I had missed New Zealand, and I think I was finally ready to be back. At many other times when I'd popped home for a visit, which just quite a long way to pop home. It's usually twenty four hours or twelve hours away. I was like, no, not ready for it yet. Seems a little bit small or a little bit quiet. Um, and it's none of those things when you're here. But I knew I had to be ready for it and come sort of late. Uh, or early 2016, I was like, yeah, I want to be back. I had bought property here. I wanted to live in that property. I did want to settle. I met a, a wonderful man. We wanted to just both be here and, and make a go of it. I wanted to be part of a community that I could actually live in and see on a regular basis. And quite frankly, I just kind of wanted to come back and see what my my home country and also home city had to offer. Um, and so we ended up going the complete opposite. We bought a big lifestyle property, so a massive house and two and a half acres of land. And I really wanted a dog. So we got two and chickens. I know it sounds nuts. I literally went from a suitcase to having to buy furniture to furniture, an entire five bedroom house, which was nuts. Um, hilarious, in fact. But it was just a complete and utter change to be in nature, to be in the country, to be in peace and quiet, to um, focus on fitness, some training for a half Ironman, uh, be around family and friends and just, yeah, just a different sort of lifestyle, but with a different type of freedom. So would you say that your definition of freedom changed uh, from before you started this journey to during the journey and now after um, all the traveling? This is going to sound really waffly, but I'd say yes and no. So my definition of freedom has always been to do what you want, when you want, with who you want, um, and where you want. And I think that is still the same same for me. However, when I was traveling, I did think, well, who would not want to travel all the time um, and just have this amazing freedom? Like, how would you not want that? And now I actually see it slightly differently, that there is massive amounts of freedom involved in travel when done right. Um, and in some ways, you're also, it can be a bit of a trap, depending on how you do it or for how long you do it. So I have a lot of friends who 
who traveled is location independent for five to 10 years. And by the end of that, they were very much like, I'm so over this. So I think anything that, um, that gives you <laughs> massive amounts of freedom will change as you change and grow. And the definition of that for me is still true, but it's just, um, it's manifested itself in different environments and different things. So actually the power of being around friends and loved ones um, and being able to be with them at the drop of the hat is more what I find important. I talked about this in my TEDx talk actually, is that freedom is really just to be with the people that you love and be able to do that in the moment and not have to quit a job or um, not be able to afford to fly home, et cetera. That's where it, it probably really hit home to me. Yeah. Cause um, I, I heard somewhere that, home is where your relationships are i mean sometimes you're you're on the road and you, you meet a lot of people but um i guess like if if you're in a, a city or a country or somewhere and you don't have any connections there and you don't you don't create any new uh, connections there it, it's, it can be such a you know like kind of lonely journey i would say um very much so yeah so would you say that this this sort of um you know being a nomad is not like a for everything it's more like for everyone it's different some people it might be 5 years might be 10 years and but eventually it it becomes sort of a phase in someone's life Yeah I think so and I mean I I'd love to hear from people who have been doing it for 30 or 40 years um and and did it well before it was even defined as digital nomadism or location independence um i, I haven't because, heard that though <laughs> no i haven't either but i've definitely met people who you know i love that you can do it at any stage in your life so i love that young people go off and do it after college or before college or before jobs i love people who just suddenly in the middle of their career go that's it i'm out and i'm gonna go travel for two years and then i love most of the people that i met on my travels um were actually 50 plus and had uh, done their career, done pretty well, and were just like, you know what, I don't need the house anymore, and our kids have flown the nest, or, and then they were just off, like literally living as if they were teenagers again, and just traveling around with backpacks and having a blast, and so I think it's, it's possible at any point, and I don't feel like people need to, I think you should always experience travel early on in life. I think it opens your eyes. I think it makes you more empathetic. I think it makes you more culturally aware. I think it actually makes you a more worldly person, but it doesn't mean that you can't have lots of stages throughout your life where you just take off and explore. It's not defined to one set of age. Um, and I, and with the future of work now and the way in which jobs and roles are changing and that the freelance community is becoming more and more important and that skills that are around human centered skills are going to be more important than anything before. I think it gives us a lot more ability to be able to travel and do what we want and work in the way we want like never before because the hierarchical traditional way of doing that is is hopefully breaking up and falling apart before our very eyes so i think you're going to see more people out on the road traveling living in different parts of the world speaking different languages being away for years at a time and and still seamlessly sort of having careers and family and friends because more of people will be doing it with them that's my prediction for the future Awesome. I hope I hope those listening that are not yet nomads will eventually experience it at some point in their life. Um, and uh, for those that are already on that journey, that you know they you know continue on. And uh, thanks thanks for coming on the show, Natalie. If um, people want to follow you and uh, buy your books and uh, learn more about you, where where can they find you? 
Yeah, I'd love for them to come across um, to me personally, nataliesisson.com. I'm at Natalie Sisson on Twitter and Instagram and everything. And of course, um, suitcaseentrepreneur.com is, is still there. Great resource. The book is there. Um, lots of blog posts on how to do this for yourself. So either of those sites, hopefully they'll gain lots of knowledge and inspiration and they can connect with me. Thanks a lot, Natalie. Thanks for coming on the show.